0: Welcome back to Lindsay Live! We're winding down 2018 and getting ready to start a new calendar year. For many of us, that means it's time to start thinking about setting our new year's resolutions. Resolutions, which according to a study by the University of Scranton, many of us are doomed to fail. According to their research, less than 1 in 10 people who set a goal for the new year are actually able to follow through and achieve it. Why such poor results? Often, we can trace the lack of success to deficiencies in our goal-setting and planning process. Unfortunately, we often carry the same failed practices that cause us to fall short of our New Year's resolutions into our learning environment. If we allow this to happen, we not only set our learners up for failure academically but we also miss an opportunity to equip our learners with goal-setting practices that will help them set and achieve goals throughout the course of their lives. One of the most common mistakes we make is setting a goal that is too vague. Have you ever set a goal like, I want to read more often, or I want to lose weight? How about in the classroom? Have you heard a learner suggest goals like, I want to learn about history, or I want to get better at math? Since these goals are not specific, they can never be strictly measured. We can only gauge our success or failure based on our own feelings, and such a goal does not allow us to set up a framework for achievement. Our goals should always fit the SMART criteria. As we've discussed on the podcast many times before, every goal needs to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. If we set goals based on this criteria, we'll have a much easier time unpacking them and creating an action plan to achieve them. For example, a goal like, by the end of the semester, I will be able to locate any US state on a map and name its capital, is much stronger than I will learn about our country. As with everything we do in our learning environment, Knowing our learners and building a relationship with them will play a critical role in their success. We must understand where they are in their learning in order to help them build a plan to get where they need to go. We need to be able to understand their capabilities in order to set upper and lower limits for goal setting. Goals should always fall within their zone of proximal development, which means they are more rigorous than they are comfortable with but not so difficult that they are impossible. If a learner wants to set a goal like, by the end of the week, I will calculate the surface area of a square, but you know from experience that they struggle to identify shapes, you may want to help them set a more attainable goal. Furthermore, we should avoid goals that focus on process and concentrate on setting goals that deliver a tangible product or skill. For example, I will read three books a week is not as strong as I will improve my reading comprehension to a Lexile score of 550 by the end of the month. Reading three books a week is more suited as a strategy or process for achieving a more meaningful mastery, like an improved Lexile score. Once we've set a strong goal, we can begin working on a plan of attack. For every long-term goal, we might plan out a set of short-term goals that we can use as stepping stones to help us improve and pace ourselves. If I were running a marathon, I wouldn't attempt to run the full 26.2 miles on my first day of training. I would instead calculate the amount of time I have until the race and set incremental mileage goals leading up until the big day. The same is true in the learning environment. In Lindsay, we use a strategy called Backwards Mapping to calculate the amount of time our learner has given themselves to achieve a goal and set a series of short-term benchmark goals to help them get there. Now, instead of waiting until the goal's deadline to follow up, we can follow the PDCA process with our learners – plan, do, check, and adjust. In the plan stage, we backwards map and lay out a series of short-term goals which our learners will do. In this plan, we will set regular times to check on their progress and adjust their goals as needed. We should also take the time to anticipate any possible obstacles that may prevent our learners from achieving their goal and plan solutions to overcome them. In the check phase, we will review our goal and check our progress. We can also discuss any unanticipated obstacles that presented roadblocks in our pursuit of our goal, and plan future solutions. If at any point in the check phase we see reason to adjust our goal, we can do so. The do, check, and adjust portions of the process will then repeat on a loop until our long-term goal has been achieved. To help us further unpack the goal-setting process, we'll talk with Cinnamon Shufly and Jeremy Jennings. Cinnamon is the principal at Washington Elementary. She's been in Lindsay throughout the transition to PBS and has helped implement a strong culture of goal setting in her learning community. Jeremy is a learning facilitator at Jefferson Learning Community where he has helped pilot the Learning Lab concept where LFs can interact with their learners and help them track goals over multiple years of learning. We'll have a lot to talk about, so stay tuned to Lindsay Live. Welcome back to Lindsay Live, happy holidays to everyone. We're glad to have you with us. I'm here with Cinnamon Schufley and Jeremy Jennings to talk about goal orientation. In order for our learners to succeed, we need to make sure positive goal orientation is a part of the culture in our learning environment. So Cinnamon, as an administrator, how do you create that type of culture at Washington?
1: Yes, at Washington, we first began goal orientation Many years ago, and given that it was something foreign for the learners and the staff, we actually systematically introduced it site-wide, and we started with something non-academic, a goal that the learners would want to work on in their personal life. A few examples of those would be things like riding a bike without training wheels, learning to roller skate doing better in their soccer teams, things like that. And that jump from a non-academic start into academic goal setting really helped. From there, we took it from learning facilitators to our parents. And our parents actually formed a group to help instruct other parents in things like SMART goals and why goal setting is important in the beginning.
0: Jeremy and I were talking before we went on air about how goal setting is one of the most important skills we learn while we're in school and one that has incredible value in our day-to-day lives. Yes, hard technical skills are important, but goal setting actually allows us to determine what we want to achieve and helps us plan ways to teach those skills to ourselves as independent lifelong learners.
1: You bring up an interesting point because I also think the intentionality of teaching the goal-setting process to the learners and eventually to the parents is one of the most important pieces. This isn't something that happens without true intention.
0: A large part of that goal-setting process is the ability to check and adjust as you meet with success or failure. Jeremy, can you walk us through the plan, do, check, adjust process?
2: Absolutely. Um, I've learned that the plan, do, check, and adjust process has been, it's been really crucial for my learners in the, the classroom, especially as an eighth grade LF. We are constantly, we have a big picture goal. There's a bunch of big picture goals that we create in the year. One of them obviously being, you know, we need to make it to the high school. Sometimes the learners come with a little bit of, you know, they have some gaps in their education that they need to fill in. And I found it really powerful this year, uh, especially as we sit down and conference with our learners. We map it out. We do this a backward mapping process and create a plan to see exactly how they need to meet that that goal at the end, and what do we need to do along the way? What kind of short term goals do we need to set to get there? And there's one learner this year in particular. It's been pretty phenomenal to see him kind of do this this process, where for the first you know seven years he was just falling behind and. You know, he had kind of a goal setting process. Okay, I need to get here, but he really wasn't uh, focused and he didn't have small short-term goals to to help him achieve that. And so this year we sat down and and we we took a a step back, really did a backward map. uh, What needs to be accomplished in this amount of time and how are we gonna get there? And uh, for this, this learner, he took it upon himself after we walked him through that. He started making smaller, short-term goals for himself. We would actually constantly check uh, every Monday, how you doing on that? And it got to a place where, you know, he wasn't successful at first. And then we talked about what is it that you need to adjust? He was very honest and he was very introspective on it and self-reflective and said, you know, during this time, I really don't work well. Uh, And so we set goals around what time he works. You know, he's actually, believe it or not, a morning person, which I don't know what eighth grade learner is, but he is. And so he started doing a lot of the stuff when he got up early. It's been incredible to see uh, through that process of, you know, planning it out and then doing it and then checking and adjusting how far he's coming. For him, I had him actually share with the class just the other day because in addition to the eighth grade content level, math targets that we have gone over as a class, On his own, through his goals that we have set and adjusted, he's completed nine additional learning targets, all uh, by doing homework, uh, doing his goals uh, outside of class. So it's been pretty amazing to see just how powerful when a learner understands that process and they can uh, understand how goal setting can impact their lives.
0: So this learner was able to identify that working in the afternoon would present obstacles. How did he come to that conclusion and what was the process for developing the solution?
2: It's kind of funny, he's a gamer, and he loves, he can't wait, he, he waits all day to get home to play. And so we recognized that as a potential distraction. We sat down and said, okay, well, when, when can we, we can use that as a reward. Why don't you set something for yourself? Like, you cannot play this game until you get this thing done. And he was like, oh, Mr. Jennings, I, I I really, uh, I love it though, when I get home, I can just relax and do that. I said, well, you can do that too and then get back to it. And he said, like, well, I actually work better in, in the mornings because I get up early to help, you know, the family get ready and whatnot. And uh, once they're ready, I have some time to myself. And that's when he started realizing, okay, I can work in the morning there and actually reward myself to say, when I've met my goal for the day, I can actually play my video games and not until then. So it's been incredible to see him work. Now he's uh, a model student, and he's uh, really sharing with the class ways that he works and how does he do it, and they're going to him for advice, which is really cool.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned video games because, to me, video games are incredibly addicting, and I believe in large part that's actually due to their goal-setting model. Uh, They work by setting a series of small, short-term goals and rewarding you instantly for achieving them. Mm -hmm. Uh, the rewards are dependable. So it creates an almost Pavlovian reaction. If I achieve this goal, I'll benefit. If I achieve this goal, I'll benefit this way. And they they keep us coming back on a weekly basis or even a daily basis. Is there a way we can utilize this strategy and bring it into our learning environment? Uh,
2: You you know, for me, Uh, I've started introducing this idea of kind of like the slot machine rewards, the random rewards that uh, they aren't expecting. You know, so I'll pick something random if like they show up on a leaderboard somewhere like in, in Dreambox or Clever Goals. And I've never rewarded that before necessarily, but I'll reward it that week. They're constantly looking for ways that they can do better. How can they adjust their, their behaviors in class even to meet the goals? Because they never know. You know, I may give them a bag of chips or something of that sort to, to show their reward. And then the, the other thing I think is really important, is, like you said, you know, in those video games, you have small little things that you accomplish and you get that reward. When we set goals, if the goal is too lofty and it's not realistic for the learner, quite frankly, if it's not uh, personalized to what they're capable of, and they don't meet that goal, it really is deflating. It really can take the wind out of their sails. And so being realistic with those goals, you know, as part of that SMART goal process and saying, is that something that you think you can really do? And actually celebrating growth as opposed to, you know, being disappointed that they didn't grow a realistic amount or unrealistic amount?
1: I think sometimes the importance and true power of goal setting is missed. Some tend to think that goals can be set by the learning facilitator for the learners and they'll be as powerful. And I think that that's a huge misconception. The learner must be truly involved, scaffolded and supported, yes, but the ownership of that goal should live with the learner, not the adult. And the other real misconception, I think, is that people may not realize that goal setting is research-based and supported. For instance, John Hattie's research supporting goal setting as a teaching strategy has an effect size of 0.56. This isn't something that we do because it is something that's cool for here and now. It's something that's been proven to work. And the more specific the goal, the better it works. I think one other misconception is that goals that are easy to attain are more effective. And that's actually not true. If you look into Hattie's work further, you'll find that more difficult goals are more effective and that they lead to a clearer notion of success and direct learners' attention to relevant behaviors and outcomes.
0: That's right. Certainly, when we talk about the A in our SMART goals, the goal must be attainable. We often see that misinterpreted as... If it's easy enough, I can complete it. That makes it attainable. Well, no. What we're actually looking for is a goal that is attainable, but also uncomfortable. It must fall within what we call the zone of proximal development, meaning it's rigorous enough to stretch our thinking, yet not so difficult that it is impossible to achieve.
1: That being said, the video games that we talked about earlier in those games, if you don't pass the level, you don't pass, and you go back to the point at which the game feels you need to start over. It doesn't make it easier for the player to pass just because they, they may not have had success in the level a couple of times. The The rigor of the game, if you will, maintains itself, and the learner has to rise to that goal versus having the goal change and become easier. Those are some common misconceptions I think affect goal setting in a in a Educational setting.
0: Right, right. There are no cheat codes when it comes to learning. Life doesn't have an easy mode. I was actually watching Netflix the other day, and two of the characters were playing a video game. One guy goes, you've been stuck on that level forever. Just enter the cheat code and skip past it. And the other character responded, but if I don't practice on this level, I'll never gain the skill necessary to pass level two. So I think it's interesting... When you talk about how goal setting loses its power when the LF sets the goal or essentially gives them the answer, not only that, we're robbing them of the ability to actually build that skill of goal setting.
1: And goal setting really empowers learners to take ownership of their learning and hold themselves accountable for results. So you're exactly right, Ian. If we take that from them, we're really not teaching them the process, and it becomes much less powerful, much less intrinsic in the way that they learn and more of a compliance item that they're doing for someone else.
2: And I think that it's, it's probably one of the hardest things for a learning facilitator to, to learn is to be able to let go of that and and really create that learner agency in the classroom we see this 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 need or this want because we care so much about the learner to you know set the goal that we think that they need and i think we're part of the process but if the learner identifies it and then they also even talk about the rewards of that goal and they come up with the rewards like what would what would motivate you to reach this it becomes so much more powerful in the classroom and even though it's, it's almost counterintuitive to what an LF needs to do, I honestly, it just would encourage the LF to let go a little bit on that and really ask the learner to or encourage the learner to be a part of that as much as they possibly can.
1: And just like with anything else, the gradual release of responsibility. When we began, you asked how we've introduced positive goal orientation into the learning community. One of the first steps years ago was to model goal setting. So there is a place for the learning facilitator to set goals and model that and then help the learner through it. But eventually and fairly quickly, that goal setting needs to transfer to ownership of the learner.
0: Having learners create their own goals is the only way to truly ensure that those goals remain relevant to the things they really want to achieve. Each learner will have different goals. Each learner will respond differently to different types of rewards. So how do you avoid one-size-fits-all goals? Tell us some of the strategies that you use to create personalized goals tailored to the needs of each individual learner.
1: I think we've come a long way in this area. I think years ago when we first began, you would have seen one size fits all goals. One of the ways that we've been able to really tailor the goal to the learner is the implementation and use of personalized learning plans. Checking and adjusting goals as part of consistent data chats with learners and their PLPs or personalized learning plans helps meet the needs in different learning targets and measurement topics for the individual learner. I think that's one way we've, we've really made a lot of growth.
2: And I, I also think that, you know, as you get to know your learners, I think that's one of the most important things in the classroom is having that personal relationship with the learners where they trust you and have a, that kind of that trusted relationship between them because you, you can see as they develop, you know, what they are capable of even in, within uh, from year to year. So last year they, they may not have been able to uh, complete a, a, a whole year's growth or a year and a half growth, but maybe this year there's something that's going on where they realize, hey, I really want to get to the high school and I don't want to fall behind. And you see them putting in that extra time and extra work. And when you conference with them, sitting down to say, is this, and I'm very open and honest with my learners, hey, this is you know, where you need to be. Do you think you can reach that? Or do you think you can go a little bit further? And, and pushing them to see if they agree to that and uh, based on what you know about them. And other learners, you know, like, man, I don't know if they're going to be able to attain that. And and You know, taking that into account and and saying, hey, let's take a step back. Let's think about where we are. Is this doable within the, the time frame we have? And really just adjusting and checking, adjusting constantly.
0: Okay, we need to build relationships to understand what level of rigor is appropriate. But how specifically do we do that? How do we know? What are some strategies that you use to determine a learner's zone of proximal development?
1: Knowing the learner includes knowing their data. The data is also an important part of knowing every learner, and it's very difficult to know an individual's zone of proximal development if you really don't know where the child is and you haven't talked to them about that. So I think that the use of data, knowing right where they are and right where they need to be, setting incremental goals right along with them is one of the ways that you look at how to calculate an individual goal with a learner. And I say with a learner, not for a learner, because the temptation is there to go, I know what your goal should be. But truly, if you're going to transfer ownership to the learner, um, or if they're going to take ownership of the goal setting process, that's a piece that cannot be missing.
2: And one of the, the really neat things that we've been able to do over the last couple of years because of the, the learning lab is you get to see the learner develop over several grades within the same room and so you literally can see them and and you know if you were going to be that eighth grade lf that sixth grade is going to come to you in a couple years how are they progressing through sixth grade and seventh grade and constantly talking uh with your your peers um what are they how are they doing in class stuff of that sort you get a really good sense of not only who the learner is but how they're working and You know, uh, maybe there's certain things, some maturity that has happened. Maybe they're a little bit more focused as they are going from year to year. And that can be very valuable when you're looking to conference with the learner and talk about, hey, I've noticed last year, you were just, I mean, you stepped up, you did an amazing job. And just to see them uh, that see you acknowledge them and that it really uh, kind of gets them going, OK, I, I want to I want to work for this. LF. I want to work for myself. I want to make sure that I continue that because it's being noticed. So that's been a real huge benefit of uh, the learning labs as we've been grouping and regrouping.
0: What is a learning lab? Can you provide a bit of background for listeners who may not be familiar with them?
2: Sure. Imagine six classrooms with all the walls completely blown out. For our lab, it's uh, grade six through eighth, all under one building, and the purpose of it is to be able to group and regroup based on learners' needs. And so, there's a movable furniture that you can create small groups on a moment's notice, or you know, meet with your peers uh, at the beginning of the week, talk about the needs of the learners, find out uh, who has a certain target they need and be able to literally move them together and have one of the, the teachers or LFs go ahead and do a mini lesson with that. And and so it, they're all our learners. So essentially, I, I keep saying I'm an eighth grade LF. Uh, for the majority I am, I do a lot of the eighth grade minutia stuff. But I, I also am constantly, you know, uh, teaching sixth graders and, and seventh graders who are working ahead or doing an intervention group because I have access to someone who needs that, and we're able to just quickly and easily meet those needs.
0: It gives you the ability to spend three or more years with a learner, develop a relationship with them. I'm sure you're able to get a good sense of what their long-term goals are, what they want to do with their lives after school. How do you use that to help them see the relevance of the day-to-day learning content?
2: Uh, at our site right now, we are really trying to use thinking maps uh, as a way to lay out and having a visual for the learners, and we've actually used that. I've used it in my classroom or in my learning environment to uh, help set goals. And essentially, it's you know using like a brace map, um, which essentially is parts to a whole. And so the whole would be where do you want to be? What do you want to do in life? You know, what is it that you want to be? And it could be I want to go to college. It could be you know I want to be an engineer. And then we're able to break out, okay, what are the steps or the parts that you need to do to get there? And then we're able to take the parts and break those down as well. This is what I need to do this week or this year to be able to get to my ultimate goal, which is being an engineer or making sure that I go to the college of choice. And it was really powerful for them to have a visual and an understanding of this is where I wanna go. How do I get there and how can I help myself get there? That made it real to them they're constantly going back and we reference that. Okay. Remember that map. What are you doing to get there? Are you on track? It's been really powerful to see. It's been motivating for the learners.
0: You use the brace map strategy to align short term goals to long term goals,
2: backwards mapping. Absolutely. Why is that important? Well, it, It's important because with the larger goals, the long-term goals, we let the learners know that we want to celebrate uh, shorter-term successes along the way just to keep us motivated. And also, it it makes it real in their life. If they set a goal that's too far off, maybe they don't remember it. I mean, we are constantly going back and uh, looking over our goals and and adjusting them and whatnot. But if we have little uh, like short-term goals to help us meet the, the longer-term goals, um, it really keeps them keeps them focused on in the process of wanting to meet that that long-term goal.
1: It also helps them from being surprised if they don't meet their goal. If they're not checking it along the way, it's very difficult for them to really know how am I tracking my progress toward this longer-term goal. The attention span of most adults is not very long. So cut that in about half for your younger learners and A long-term goal that's six to eight to 10 months away isn't as meaningful possibly as something that's a little bit shorter term. And as Jeremy said, if you're not checking in on it, it's something that could be either forgotten or they're hit with a surprise at the end that they don't want. They didn't meet their goal and they don't really know why or why not. Um, Because even learners that meet their goal, it shouldn't be a surprise. It should be a, a prediction of progress that happens along the way.
0: It has to be the worst feeling as an educator to tell a learner, sorry, you didn't pass, and especially if they're surprised about it. And when they are, it's almost always because we failed to set short-term goals and follow up every week or every day. In order to do this effectively, we may have to set hundreds of short-term goals over the years, so, how do we help the learners prioritize and organize those goals so they eventually lead to success in the accomplishment of a long term goal?
1: Well, this is where the goal setting process is a team sport. So the learner is not left on their own to set their goals. They do have an adult that is helping them, collaborating with them. And that's one of the, the ways that we really come in and it's our time to shine, is to help them prioritize those pieces so they don't get overwhelmed with 100 different steps that are 10 years away. They could change their goal too. What they wanna be when they're eight, 10, 12 years old may not be end up what they want to do when they are older. So prioritizing them in doable chunks is one of the ways that the learning facilitator and other staff can really help.
2: Yeah, and I think another thing that is very helpful and sometimes it's, it's overlooked is uh, we assume that the learner knows how to use organizational tools. And that often is not the case, even though they have the technology right there in their hand, the one that we're typically fighting over, you know, in that cell phone, that can actually be a beneficial tool in their class, uh, you know, setting an alarm. For 4.30 p.m., or start your homework that you said you were going to do, or look at that missing target that you need to work on. Simply learning how to use Outlook uh, or their Google Calendar. You know, these are tools that they have at their hands. We assume that they know how to use it, but teaching those organizational skills can be very beneficial in helping them meet their goals as well.
0: Why is it important to focus our goals on tangible skills, what we call product goals, rather than process goals like read three books a week, for example?
2: That, honestly, is because every learner learns differently, you know? And so if we set a goal based on product, that's something that they have identified that they want to reach. Now, how they get there, that really is, uh, that's that's PBS in a nutshell. Every learner is going to learn different. They may be more of a, a tactile learner. You know, they need something in their hands to learn. So letting allowing them to do a project that is, you know, uh, they can show their mastery of that uh, understanding in a different way. As long as they reach that product goal, that's, that's what's important. Introducing different technology or different mediums uh, for them to display their understanding of their target is super important in that. Because again, it doesn't matter really how they get there because every learner learns differently. It's, it's whether or not they reach that product goal.
1: And typically in their life as adults, they will be held very accountable for results, not process. So that's one way to start early in um, really holding them as an accountable partner as opposed to the learning facilitator or even parent having more invested in the goal than the learner. It really is a partnership. Holding themselves accountable for the results is really important.
2: The accountability partner thing actually works out really well when uh, you have learners who are maybe maybe they're friends or maybe they're not, maybe they're just peers in class, but if they, if they hold each other accountable, it's very powerful where they're just checking in with each other, and that's another one of those organizational things uh, that we can teach them.
0: How do you keep this process alive from day to day? I know you have a limited amount of time with the learners, so how do you budget that time for goal setting?
1: That goes back to systems and structure. It really won't happen without a serious intention. And there is so much happening in the instructional path of learning facilitators and learners on a daily basis planned down to the minute. So one of the ways at Washington that we keep the process alive is to actually add it in to our calendars to meet with the learners on a regular basis At times, it's using the personalized learning plan or PLPs that we spoke about before. But to actually take some time, get it on a calendar, and then do it. Otherwise, time can pass by, but it's making time, prioritizing it, and then also making sure that the learner is right there with you while they're learning how to take ownership of their own learning.
2: Yeah, and I would agree. You know, I think one of the things that often is for for LFs, they forget to actually put goal setting in their lesson plans. And so I think it's uh, one way of keeping it alive is being very intentional about the the goal setting. It doesn't necessarily have to be a long process, but making sure that for the LF, it's actually in the lesson plans. And then for for the the learner is helping them understand how these things, making it real to their life. You know, how is what they're learning, the content affecting their life uh, from a lifelong learning standpoint?
0: In what ways have you guys seen these processes actually impact the learners here in Lindsay?
1: I would say that one of the most powerful things about goal setting that we have been able to see at Washington and really throughout the district is the learners are empowered to take ownership of their learning. Years ago, we were at the stage where we were explaining what a what a SMART goal was and why it was important. And we're now at the point where we're not only using goals, our parents are familiar with the process, they have taught each other some of the process, and learners are able to really come to the table as a partner versus a compliant passenger. And for me, I think that that's one of the ways the learning community has been impacted.
2: I absolutely agree. You know, I've seen the the goal setting process go from task oriented uh, in the learners to really engaging with that goal. You know, seeing them high five each other after meeting their SRI goal or whatever goal they set, but meeting their short term goal that's going to help them meet their long term goal is really powerful to see. Yes, I met my goal. You know, now it's time to check and adjust again, create another one. So it, it really is creating that ownership. And the learners understand that it's not just a task that is needed to be done. They're really making it part of who they are. And that's been really powerful to see.
0: Cinnamon Truthfully, Jeremy Jennings, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you, Ian.
0: And it's been a pleasure having you as a listener. Be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to receive the gift of year-round discussion and strategies from Lindsay stakeholders. Happy holidays, enjoy your break, and tune in in the new year to Lindsay Live.